back and forth between you and I. There's just oceans of love and understanding, and I feel sympathy because you know I need it. I like the way I feel. There's no way I could tell you how I admire the ladies of the Louisiana district and how I admire your great Thetis Pearl Tenney. You know, we're really a, gr a privileged group of ladies sitting here today. You know why? We're married to preachers. Oh, we're a privileged group. We're married to preachers, and we have for our husband a godly man that has a real purpose in life. God's will and God's work, that's first to him. And do you know that's the very first lesson we learned as a preacher's wife, that God was first and we were second. Oh, are we ever second. But we settled that a long, long time ago, and we're content to be second to such a great man. Well, we learned the second lesson pretty soon after we married, that the real beauty to our husbands is the ageless beauty of a gentle spirit. Even after you get these wiry gray hairs like a Brillo pad and you start sagging and getting wrinkles, you're still beautiful to them because long ago that gentle spirit captivated their heart. Don't worry about those pretty young faces because even though he likes to dress me nice, he loves it when I, am, uh, when I am adorned with the ornaments of a meek and a gentle spirit. It's priceless in his sight. I've learned he wants me to be gentle and meek and quiet. I've learned to be under uh, subjection to him, and I love it. I don't resent it in the least. I remember when under subjection was like a, a cruel word, a slave tyrant situation. Oh, no, that just simply means that I came under the protection of a great man like James Kilgore, and he has to take care of me. And I am very content. We're equal persons, but we're not equal in responsibility because I'm the weaker sex, and I have a lower position because God takes special care of me. I'm the weaker sex, all right, but I learned also early in life that I have a great power within me that I had to bring under control. And I've got it under control. It's the power of persuasion. I can sway the will and the mind of my husband if I want to, but I have that under control and I don't ever use it to stir him up against someone or to bring bitterness or discard but I use it for the good and for the glory of God because God loved me enough to give it to me. He knew how I would be loved by my children and by the saints and by my husband. He still gave it to me. The least I can do is keep it under control and use it in the right way. Well, I've learned some of these lessons, and I have this real comfortable place of submission that the Lord arranged for me, just like a baby in his mother's arms. I just feel so secure and happy, and I have learned, the, earned, earned the complete trust of my husband. He never at any time fears that I'm going to betray him or conflict with him. He doesn't have to watch after church and say, I wonder if she's stirring up something back there. Oh, no, I'm a peacemaker. He doesn't have to worry about me. He knows I'm going to be the first one that practices what he preaches. He knows I'm going to watch my consecration. I'm going to be faithful to my prayer life. He knows that I'm going to be faithful to church. I have to do all these things because I want to be loved by him. And when I have learned these lessons, then my greatest need is fulfilled. I feel cherished and accepted and admired and like somebody real special to my husband. 
But earning the trust and the love of our husbands is not what I want to talk about today. Not in a million years. I want to tell you that when God looks down and finds a lady that has learned all these lessons, learned her place in life, her position, and is willing to keep it, Oh, it is beautiful in the sight of God. It's like a pearl of great price. And she's valuable and she's rare. And let me tell you, security tightens around that little lady. All heaven is going to take care of her because she is a rare commodity. She is precious in the sight of God. They say that Prince Charles, the heir to the throne of England, is the most protected man in the whole world because he'll be the next one to take the throne. I disagree. You and I are the most protected people in the whole world because we're heirs to the great kingdom of God. Our protection makes his seem as nothing. It's true there are people all around him at all times guarding him. You wouldn't notice them if you went to England and saw him because they're trained to stay in the background. You should see the secret service men that are around us. Our eyes are not constructed to see them, but let me tell you, heaven has them there watching and taking care of us all the time because we are valuable and precious in the sight of God, and he's going to take care of us. Two weeks before Christmas, I had a very, very serious surgery. Now, that's not a big deal. Almost every lady's had surgery. It's not important unless you're a big coward, and I am. I qualify. I'm a coward, and I was scared to death. And that morning when I, walked, I woke up in that hotel, uh, that not, I wish it would have been a hotel, in that hospital room, about 4.30, oh, it was a huge room. It was for two people, and I was the only one there. And it was still dark, and I felt so alone. That wasn't my familiar surroundings. I'd never been in a hospital except to have three babies, and I was real busy at the time and didn't remember too much about it. But here I was in this big old room, and they, I'd never been put to sleep. They were going to put me in such a deep sleep, they'd cut me in two, and I wouldn't feel it, and I couldn't understand how I'd ever wake up. I was scared. I walked over to the window and looked out, and I said, God, I'm scared. Would you please come down and help me? I'm afraid I won't wake up, and I don't want to die. Now, he knows I want to go to heaven. I've talked to him about it a lot, but he knows I want to wait and go with the rest of the group. I don't want to go alone. <laughs> I don't want to go alone. Well, while I was standing there praying and asking God to help me, you know, he just walked right up beside me. I didn't see him, but it seemed like he must have been so tall, bigger than that room, and it was like his love just wrapped around me, and I just felt better and better every second. And I heard the door open, and I thought, well, I can't believe my family would come this late, or maybe it's the nurses that will start. And I turned around and looked because I heard footsteps, not a soul was there, but the footsteps kept coming closer, and I heard the rustling of garments, and I knew that the angels had walked in that room and were gathered around me. And do you know, all of a sudden, I wasn't afraid of anybody or anything. I felt like there was no way that any harm could possibly ever get to me. There was too much of a protection around me. I wasn't going to be hurt. I was going to be all right. I had all heaven in there protecting me, and I have loved that feeling. And I want you to know, many a day since then, I've used the same trick. Lord, I'm scared today. I've got too much to do, and I don't have the strength to do it. 
and I, I don't know exactly how to go about the things you've laid out for me today, and there's decisions I can't make, and I feel that secure feeling come around me, and I feel like they're strengthening me and helping me and guiding me and directing me. I want to tell you my favorite story because I can relate to it in the, in the Old Testament, one of my favorite stories. I, I, it's not my complete favorite. Any of my real favorites has Moses. He's my number one favorite, but this is one of my favorites. There was a young man in Dothan with Elisha. And we can relate to this young man because he was the helper of a great man of God, just like we are. And one morning he went out and looked over the wall, and my goodness, as far as he could see in every direction, there were chariots of the enemy, and they were full of soldiers with their swords and weapons drawn, and there was a rumbling of more chariots coming, and he ran back to Elisha. Oh, I'm scared. What are we going to do? Look at all of this enemy. Elisha said, don't be afraid. There are a lot more with us than there are with them. Well, what could he possibly mean by that? And Elisha said, Lord, open up that young man's eyes and let him see. And up above that army of the enemy, there were chariots of fire just as far as he could see. Look all the way up and look around this way and look behind. And you know, of course, who was driving those chariots. That young man didn't have a thing to be afraid of anymore. All of a sudden, he felt completely protected and he wasn't worried in the least. I want you to know that young man had the same protection that Elisha had. I'm only a helper, but I don't have to stand afraid anymore because I'm working with a man of God who is going to be protected by God, and I'll get to enjoy the same protection. And I'm asking God this morning to help us all to get our eyes open to see our protection, not to be so aware of all of the enemy that's around us. But remember what David told us, that the angel of the Lord encampeth round about those that fear him, and I fear him. And they don't just stand and watch, but David also said, and they delivereth them. They're there to do something for us. The battle is not ours, it is the Lord's. Don't fear the warfare because the one that goes before us, he and those who fight with him are well able to take care of us. Now, I believe this because David said it, and I believe everything David said. According to him, the angels were created for our protection. Two reasons God created them, to praise him around the throne, and that's a beautiful part of their existence, and then move in an instant from heaven down to earth where they have been placed with a charge to watch over those who have been made heirs to the kingdom of God. David said he gave his angels charge over us to keep us in all our ways. In other words, he said, I'm making you angels responsible for my children down there. Now take care of them. So they go from heaven to earth and back again in a moment's time because they are masters of time and space. Now we hear all the time about the words that Peter told us that there is an enemy that walks about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. I like to talk about who's walking just a little bit ahead of him, the great angel with his sword drawn to protect us and take care of us. I want to tell you what happened to me about 22 years ago. One Sunday morning, a little over a month before Easter, my husband announced to all of the adults that after this, 
all the adults would be in the main auditorium. And starting next Sunday, he said, my wife will be teaching about the last week of Jesus. We'll start with the triumphal entry and then the Last Supper in Gethsemane. And he went in great detail. And while he was saying it, my heart stopped beating. I could not believe what I was hearing. I couldn't believe he was saying that. It's true I had taught ladies a few times, weekly having a nervous breakdown. Right, Pat Foster? You're one that scared me the most of all, sitting there, the president of the, of the college, his wife, and there a little old dummy like me was trying to teach her, but to teach all the adults. I couldn't believe he was saying that. We certainly hadn't discussed it before. I'd have been on my knees begging him not to do that to me. But after that, it was proclaimed in heaven and in earth. He couldn't get up the next Sunday and say, well, she wouldn't do it. She showed a rebellious spirit. She's not here teaching. I was trapped. I had to do it. He still uses that on me. A couple of years ago, he said, all adults in the auditorium next Sunday, my wife is going to be teaching on the fruit of the spirit. He could have just as easily announced, there's a little area in my wife's life that needs some improvement. So I'm going to let her work on it all this week because he knew by Sunday evening I'd be on my knees. Oh, God, teach me about the fruit of the Spirit. And I'd be getting them in my heart and then I'd be able to teach them. He uses that on me a lot. He's a pretty smart fellow, I'll tell you. Well, that week... My heart quit beating. A month to teach the adults in the auditorium. And besides, I was up to my neck in bus routes. I was planning on bring the most, bringing the most on Easter Sunday. I wasn't planning on studying all, week, all month. I was planning on going on those bus routes and seeing if I could just beat everybody else. Life Tabernacle was having a little bit of spur to growth, and nobody was more excited than I was. But do you know what? James did me the greatest favor he could have ever done because he said, hey, old girl, you need a trip to the cross and you need it bad. And I took it because for one month I was buried in the Bible. I had stacks of books on the kitchen table, on the dining room table, in my bedroom, the day Christ died, the, everything you could think of that had ever been written, all the sermons out of James's library, read and read and read, every little detail, until I felt like I was walking every step he walked, until I knew every little minute detail of that last week. And I just read it over and over and over and think about it until it almost consumed me. Every detail, the Last Supper when he said, I'll be one with man. In Gethsemane when I realized that he took my sins and I could be holy like he was holy. And the trial, everything the high priest said to him and everything Pilate said and everything Herod said. And then that terrible beating that week when I studied about the trial, I couldn't hardly live through that week. My heart ached so bad. And then Easter morning came. And he announced the Sunday before, now at 4.30, gather in because at 5 we're going to have the, um, a sunrise service and my wife will be teaching about the crucifixion. And then at the 10 o'clock service, she'll teach about the resurrection. Oh, I thought, what a load, but what a week I had. I couldn't, I couldn't hardly read that week for crying. The more I talked about that trip to the cross and them shoving him down on that cross and putting those nails in and, and about that scrape in that back that was ripped to shreds, the more I thought about it, I couldn't stand it. My heart was so broken. I couldn't see the pages to read. And then I'd read about the resurrection 
depression for a few days and my heart would be so full of joy I'd weep for joy and walk through the house so excited that he had risen and that the people were so glad when he stepped into their midst and said peace it's it's I just it's peace and he was back with them again don't be afraid anymore and I cried I think one full day on the fact that he appeared first of all to a little nobody like Mary just like me and and told her that he loved her oh it was some kind of a week it was a week full of tears it was a week full of walking with Jesus it was times that it, I just I just lived in his presence and I loved every minute of it and I felt so acquainted I don't feel like I ever in my life loved Jesus as much as I did that week I don't think I ever realized how much he loved me well there it was 4:30 Sunday morning I hadn't slept all night long I walked out of my back door there on Rouse it was about as far as the back of the building to the back door of the church so I walked over to go in the back door it was still dark and I got about halfway and I heard a big group of people coming toward me and I thought well some of the saints are getting here and they're coming through the back way and I turned around and there wasn't a soul and yet I still heard rustling of garments and I heard footsteps and they just kept on until they circled around me that was my first encounter with angels I was not a bit afraid I had cold chills like I have right now I wasn't afraid I just stood there and enjoyed their presence I didn't say a word to them and they didn't say a word to me but we communed in thought it was as if they said I'm glad you went into that story. I'm glad you went into every little detail of his life. We love it too. We love for people to remember what he did. We were there watching just like you were. We saw it all. And you know, I have wondered many, many times since then, which who were those angels around me? Which ones did I study about that week that came to tell me they were glad I studied? It could have been one of some of the 12 legion that Jesus told Peter to put up your put up your weapon don't worry I have 12 legions of angels up there that would love to come and deliver me but they were under strict orders not to interfere because he wanted to pay the full price for our sins but don't you know those angels looked down all 12 legions of them with their swords drawn and they would have loved to come to deliver when those people stood around the cross and said if you're really the son of God why don't you come down they knew he could come down he was the son of God but he stayed there because he died for our sins oh they would have loved to have come and I studied about it and I thought about it but they realized just at that moment how much God loved us and it was as if they came around to say we know how you feel we understand how you feel maybe it was those angels maybe it was the angels that were in the garden that day I just love to think about those angels on the resurrection morning I like to think about that one angel that came walking through the garden and his footsteps were so powerful it was like an earthquake he barely touched that huge boulder that weighed tons and it just rolled away from the mouth of the tomb not a bit of physical exertion I love the angels that sat inside the tomb said don't look in here he's not here I like the one that sat up at the on the top of the tomb and said he's risen he's not here oh that garden was full of angels and they looked in amazement at those that came and and couldn't believe he was resurrected they knew all too well 
Maybe it was those angels that stood around me because I had learned to love them so much. I felt like they were my personal friends, and they did come to see me that morning. You know what? It could have been the cherubims. Now, I may not have any business talking about them, but I studied about them that week, and I got well acquainted with them, so I'm going to tell you about them. According to what I read, David said that the cherubims said that God sat in between them. In other words, they must stand on each side of them. And Ezekiel told us that they constantly praise God for his greatness. But that's not what I studied so much about. I studied about the time that uh, God directed. It was not too long after they stood guarding the uh, tree of life at the Garden of Eden after some people had been driven out from the presence of God because they were disobedient. Not too long after that, there was an ark of a covenant built, and God directed the people to put the image of the cherubims on that ark because they, that was a sign that at all times they would be there guarding the presence of God. Well, according to what I studied that week, there, later on in the tabernacle and then in the temple, there was a huge veil that was right in front of the Ark of the Covenant, which represented the place where God's presence dwelled. And nobody could go beyond that veil. It was more than 60 feet high, and it was rewoven every year till it was four inches thick, and oxen on each side couldn't have pulled it apart. It was a strong veil that let nobody in to where the presence of God was, except for once a year, the high priest could go in with the blood of a goat and goats and bulls, not to wash a men's sin, away but just to roll them one year ahead and if anybody else went in the penalty was death one man once a year go into the presence of God to roll sins ahead the cherubims guarded and made sure nobody else went in but when Jesus paid the full sin for every man and everything was washed away forever somebody you tell me who ripped that veil from the top to the bottom there it was, the presence of God. You could freely walk in at any time. Just walk in and, and live in his presence and dwell in his presence. There he is. It's free for everybody that's willing to repent. Now, if the gifts and callings of God are without repentance for man, I don't know, I just kind of think they might be for the cherubims too. And I just kind of feel like they're still guarding the presence of God and keeping the way clear so that anybody that wants to can enter into his presence all week, anytime. It stands to reason they were there saying, hey, I'm a wasn't it wonderful being in the presence of God this week. We let you there. We're keeping the path clear. You can go there anytime. Because right after that moment when I was saved, I became a part of a chosen generation and a royal priesthood. And I loved to walk and live in the presence of God. Well, it was a beautiful day. I doubt anybody in that church got very much out of that Easter day, but it was one of the most blessed days of my life. Thank you, James, for making me go to the cross. It was a hard travailing week and there was a big load but I came forth a better person and do you know what I like to think about also the ascension and the angels that were there I know they were watching that day when Jesus led probably at least 500 up to the Mount of Olives 
and it was time for the ascension, and he raised up his hands to bless the followers, and the scars were still there. And while he was blessing them, he just began to rise up higher and higher, and somehow they realized this wasn't like the other times he had vanished, and his followers said, oh, Jesus, please don't leave us. Don't. They felt so lonely and desolate and felt they couldn't bear to stay there on earth. Please don't leave us, and he just kept going higher and higher, and they watched the clouds covering, and they stood there thinking, oh, please come back, Jesus. He had told them he was going to leave, and he would come back, but they're just like us. They just cannot seem to comprehend the words of Jesus. Well, they stood there gazing, but in heaven, friend, that was Jubilee Day. The great God of heaven had gone back and taken his place on the throne, and ten thousands times ten thousands and thousands and thousands of angels were singing glory to God in the highest. Or maybe they were singing, All hail the power of Jesus' name. I don't know. But there was a great time of Jubilee. And Jesus stopped it all. He said, two of you, two of you, go down and comfort my children and explain what's going on. And I'm sure that none of them wanted to leave right at that moment. That was celebration time. But two of them went down and said, this same Jesus who is taken away from you will come back just exactly as you saw him leave. And I kind of believe that the Lord took that opportunity to reinforce his charge and reiterate it once more. Those are my children that will inherit the kingdom of God, and I give you charge over them, and they're still taking care of us. I love to think about the day of Pentecost. The angels didn't get to show their face at all that day, but you see... They're a part of God, and they, they, they were aware of what was going on. And to their amazement, they looked down and saw God actually come inside of man. They saw the joy that exploded on their faces and the heavenly language that came forth. And though they are mighty in, in intelligence, they could not believe what they were seeing. They could not believe that God would actually come and dwell in man. And they envied it almost. They admired it. They were amazed. They were baffled. And they desired to look into it. And you know, my pastor told me a legend one time, and I want to tell you about it. They said, Lord, what a wonderful thing that man can become one with you. That's a magnificent thing. Can we go to every little village in the whole world and stand with a loud trumpeting voice and tell them that man can now take on the name of Jesus in baptism and now can become one with him? They can actually have his spirit dwell? Jesus said, no, no, my people will do that for me. Oh, but what if they don't? They'll do it. And if they don't, I have no other plans. And the angels realized right then, oh, how God must love man and how God must trust man. And they were determined if he loved them, we love them and we will take care of them. And all through the New Testament church, my goodness, did they ever abound. I want you to know that God delegated the angels to make a lot of very important announcements for him down through the ages, but he never one time gave them the privilege of proclaiming the gospel. That was reserved for mankind. He'll give you strength, but the responsibility is ours to speak of salvation. Well, they can't preach, but let me tell you whenever and wherever the gospel is at work, 
they're going to be there helping. Look at that Ethiopian nobleman. He was reading. He got to Isaiah. He didn't understand it. The angel was right there. He's always near when God's dealing with a man. But he couldn't tell him, hold everything. I'll go get somebody that can. And he went to get Philip. Think about when he went to Cornelius. He couldn't tell Cornelius how to be saved, but he'd go get somebody that could, so he went to Peter. And look at Paul on that ship. It looks like he was going to go down. The angel said, oh, no, you won't be hurt, Paul, or anybody else, because Caesar's got to hear this. I can't tell him. You'll be protected. And over and over in the book of Acts, there they were, bold and strong and powerful, leading people out of jail, working with them. Hey, did you ever stop to think we belong to that same church? We're the New Testament church, too. If they had it, we had it, because God is no respecter of persons. I wish I had one hour to talk about experiences of the angels. I, I think my favorite all-time experience involved Brother Andrew Urshan, because probably he is one of my favorite all-time people. But I remember he said as a young boy, it was, very, it was a crime in the old country to pass out religious literature or a Bible or anything of that nature. And he somehow, through faith and strength in God, went through the streets and gave them literature. And one day, another Christian stopped and said, how did you ever get permission from the government to pass out that literature? He said, I have no permission from anyone. They said, then why did those two soldiers walk along beside you all the time? Well, I'll tell you why. Two angels went along protecting him. I love the story that the missionary told us not long ago in our church. They had to leave and go to work with some of their people. It was in the afternoon, and they told the children, lock the house, stay in the back part of the house, and we'll be back soon. Don't open the door for anybody. Everything will be all right. Well, as happens, many times they were gone longer than they thought, and it was nearly dark. The next-door neighbor, who was a friend, came over to knock, to check on the children, and a man in a beautiful white suit, a tall, stately gentleman, opened the door. They said, we came to check about the children. Oh, they're all right. They're fine. I'm taking care of them. And when the missionary got back, they said, who was that man in your house? He was such a fine-looking gentleman. There was no man in our house. No, it wasn't a man. It was an angel. <laughs> I read in a Presbyterian. <laughs> I wish we had time to stop and shout. <laughs> I read about in a, in a Presbyterian book a long time ago about this missionary, oh, this was probably maybe 80 years ago. This missionary and his wife and child were in a, in a part of Africa, and they were in their little house, and a very hostile tribe came up. They were going to burn that house and make, catch it on fire, put it on fire. They had their torches, and then the missionary and his family would have to run outside, and they were going to kill them. All they knew to do, they were there alone, was to get down on their knees and pray and wait for whatever happened. At daylight, they were still praying. They looked outside, no, no hostile tribe there, no, no enemy tribe with their torches. They were safe. They went outside, they went through their day, went about the work of God. A few months later, that same chief of that tribe came and was saved. And the missionary said, what happened that night that you all didn't set our house on fire? We were, we were very afraid. He said, well, how could we? There were a hundred soldiers in perfect formation around your house with their swords drawn and they were in full uniform. We wouldn't have dared approach that house. You know, they gather around my house too. When James leaves, he said, God, take care of Ima and James. And they just marked around. 
them. They know exactly what they're supposed to do as messengers, and they do it. They never do anything for their own glory. It's only for the glory of God. They never change. They're rich in intelligence, though, because they understand our changes, and they understand our emotions. They have never felt the effect of sin or sorrow or death, and yet they are very aware of those things that, that what those things do to our emotions. They understood me as a little child. They understood me as a teenager, though it was very hard. They understood me as a bride. They understood me as a young mother. Oh, they understood how much I needed them. They understand me right now as a wife whose greatest fear is losing her husband. And every time he goes out, oh, I think, oh, God, please take care of him. I don't like those chest pains. You know how I feel when you get about 50 and every day is so precious and that fear sweeps over me and I say, oh, God, send your angels. I want to tell you what happened last year. Three, in three different states, we received a phone call. And someone called and told us about at a district conference on three different parts of the country, someone in a congregation looked up, and as my husband was ministering, they saw an angel standing behind him. Just that one person saw it, and they were kind enough to call and tell me about it. Now, those angels were there for one reason, to comfort me, to let me know that wherever he went, whatever he was doing, he, they would take care of him. Isn't that good, girls, to know that God takes care of our husbands? That's our most precious possession. We just can't stand it when they're out of our sight if we don't think they're in good care. They are, I promise you. And I know the angels understand me as a grandmother because every day I go back to heaven. Lord, would you send an angel for Christopher and Michael and watch after both of them all day long and don't let a thing happen to them because they are so tiny and so precious in my sight. Oh, we've got some wonderful friends. Our enemy may come and say, who are you? To expect all that. I'm the helper of the man of God, and I have a right to it. I'm no good scared and defeated and hovering in fear. God wants me to believe I'm protected and taken care of and that I can be useful. I didn't deserve to be a preacher's wife, but he let me be because I begged and pleaded, give me James, give me James, give me James. Please let me have him, and he did. And, he, and so now we're one, and he doesn't plan separately for us. So if he's protected, I'm protected. And I feel so good about it. And sometimes the enemy will say, oh, you're, you're trying to be too supernatural. Don't talk about angels so much. God doesn't need angels. He sure doesn't. He doesn't need me either. He could sure get along without me. The rocks could cry out if I didn't want to. But it just so happens that we both fit in the plan of God. And he uses me and he uses the angels. And you know, sometimes people say, don't talk about angels. You're going to confuse that with deity. You're going to take God does. Oh, no, there's not a chance, God. We'll never confuse anybody with you. You're the one that dwells within us. You're the one we lean on and trust. We don't pray to angels. We only pray to you for them to come and help us. No, we just want to grasp the beauty, Lord, of the promise that you made to us. For you sent them to us, and if we take them out of the Bible, we take so much of the beauty and the majesty because they appeared to almost every... Uh, character in the Old Testament and all of those in the New Testament and they're still working with the church of the living God. No, Lord, it's a tremendous benefit you gave us. It's misunderstood, but we don't want to ignore it and not enjoy all that protection and security that we can have. It's a wonderful benefit God planned. 
I don't have to see one. I never have. I'm not worth it. I probably never will. But that doesn't make me doubt it. I don't have to see it. I'll protect you because you said, and I want your protection in any form that it comes. Now I want to tell you about this hedge that the angels build around us. Oh, it's good and tight and strong, and you just can't hardly penetrate it. They do it because God loves us, and so they love us. But I want to tell you about one time when Satan came and accused God. And said, I wonder Job loves you so much you've got that hedge around him. Who wouldn't? So God had to open up that hedge just a little bit. Open that hedge up a little bit, and he walks in and slaps us to the ground, kicks us and prompts us. I remember, Sister O'Brien, oh, I remember when he walked in and slapped you to the ground. We're grieving with Rex right now. I remember the Rex, Edith Pearl, when it seemed like he just gave you such a blow. But if you're standing around, Satan, and waiting for us to accuse God and to blame him and to say, why, and question him, you are wrong. Because we're going to lay there for a minute, and then we're going to look to the author and the finisher of our faith. And he's going to give us strength, and he's going to pick us up, and that hedge is going to close back real good and tight, tighter than ever before, ever before. I love the scripture that my husband uses. It's his favorite. Rejoice not against me, O my enemy, when I fall. Don't laugh. I'm down. It's true. You've slapped me right to the ground. Just don't laugh. Don't worry about it. I shall rise again. And though darkness is all over me right now and my heart is broken in two, I know the healer of broken hearts, and I shall sit in lightness. And he heals us, and he helps us, and the hedge is tighter than ever, and we march right on. We don't think it's strange, these fiery darts or these fiery temptations. The Lord is well able. He walked in our family one time when I was a teenager. The hedge opened a little bit, and a dwarf was born. And we watched people laugh and point and stare. And it taught me a good lesson. It taught me to be very understanding because I wanted to be understood. You know, sometimes it comes and it, it strikes so hard, we're just... We're just, our strength is gone and we see our weaknesses and God can lift us up and make us strong. He hits us so hard we lose control and then God takes control and we're a better person. He slaps the very life out of us sometimes and then God brings new life. Oh no, just go on Satan. Don't you think that a trial or a heavy blow will destroy us? We will serve the one true living God though he slay us. We will trust him. There's no word. You say, David, you sent angels to protect us? Angels? And there's no word to even, in the English language, to even describe the strength of one. Just one. And you mean we have a whole hedge around us? Let me tell you just a minute about the strength of one angel. I can't see. Can, should I stop? I, just a minute more. Can you just imagine the strength of one angel? Think about Daniel standing there in that lion's den surrounded with ferocious, starving lions. Hundreds of men with weapons would have been afraid to go down and try to subdue the, those lions. He stood there the next morning just as calm and safe. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth. They couldn't hurt me. One angel came 
one angel. And think about in Egypt. One night, God let one angel walk through that land, and the next morning, the firstborn of every family was dead. From that palace of Pharaoh down to the lowest, humblest one. Do you know why? Egypt had God's people in bondage. They were slaves, and he will not tolerate that. Not to a nation, not to a spirit, not to a fear, right, Sister Thetis, or a guilt or a depression. He will deliver us. One time the, the Assyrian army was going to destroy, uh, destroy that little land of Judah. God's people, they were just, just bowing down every nation they came to. And then there were God's people. And they felt so helpless. Isaiah said, don't worry, not an arrow will be, will be fired into this land. And that night, one angel walked through the sleeping troops of those Assyrians. The next day, 185,000 lay dead. Oh, God will fight her battles. We, he will fight our battles. He, and not only are they strong, they're countless. There's no number in human mathematics to number them. There must be trillions. Trillion, I'd say about a thousand each. I'd figure that we have probably a thousand each delegated. And when I say, oh, Jesus, help me, it doesn't surprise me if a thousand say, Jesus, what can I do for your child that's in need? I believe that. I accept it, and I feel secure about it. Well, we've settled the fact that we have tremendous protection for our body, our soul, our spirit. We've settled the fact of their strength and their power and that they are innumerable. But did you know that we can walk down a certain path that they are afraid of? They're afraid to walk down some areas of life. They're scared to death. I don't care how strong they are, but some places they won't go. And they can detect a certain spirit or attitude in our life, and they will depart from us. We can completely disqualify ourselves from their protection. They'll turn, walk away, the promise is off, kid. You're on your own if you're going to take that attitude. I'm through with you. And I want to tell you how serious it is to the angels. I'll have to tell you about a story that happened thousands of years ago. They witnessed a bitter, bitter scene in heaven. They'll never forget it. Ezekiel and Isaiah both told us about it. They said there was this very, very beautiful and prominent angel in heaven. He was greatly admired and respected by everyone. He was Lucifer that was allowed to stay closest to the throne of God. He was next to God in power. He was called the archangel that covered the throne. He was the one that led the beautiful heavenly choir. He was in charge of the music. His abilities and his anointing was greater than any other angel and so loved and trusted by God. Lucifer, what a position you have. That's magnificent. But did you know one day he wasn't satisfied with that position any longer? He wasn't happy with it. God had given him a special place, but it wasn't enough. He wanted to exalt himself to a higher place. I'd like a little more authority, please. I'd like a little more wisdom. He was so full of his self-importance that his position that God had given him was no longer sufficient. And so though God loved him very much, he had to be cast out of heaven forever. And he had so much influence that he took a third with him. Well, I want to tell you, Lucifer, you think that women are a pushover for that idea of yours, but I would like to tell you that you are very wrong. I think that, I think that he thinks that we can use that. He can use that on us because of Eve. 
Let's go back to Eve, the first woman, and let's see what, we'll check it out and make sure we don't make that mistake. Eve, oh, what a beautiful creature. God could have made her from the dust. He took one of Adam's ribs, and she was beautiful, and he presented her to Adam. Here's everything you could ever dream of, Adam. She's beautiful. She's your helper. She's your companion. She's your friend, and I'm going to have this garden full of joy and peace and happiness just for you two, and I'll walk in the cool of the evening with you. Eve, what a beautiful position you had. There was such a little requested of you, Eve. Surely you'll stay right where God wants you to be and enjoy walking with him in his presence and enjoy being adored and loved by Eve and all the beauty that was around. Of everything created, she was the most perfect and the one that satisfied every longing of Adam. But not too much longer on a dark day, she ruined it all. All of a sudden, she wasn't satisfied with the position she had. She wanted to be just a little bit wiser. She became a little too full of her self-importance. She wanted to be a a little higher position, a little more authority, please. And Lucifer came and told her a lie about how smart she was, and she believed it. She ate the fruit. Not only did she eat it, she used that power of persuasion, and she had her husband to eat it. And they lost the presence. They were driven away from the presence of God. Now, I'll tell you why I mentioned Eve. Because you and I, as preachers' wives, sometimes because of who our husband is, not because of who we are, don't kid yourself, because of who our husband is, we are given so much honor. It's just heaped upon us. We are placed in such a a, a position of high esteem, and they look up to us, and they consider us so important, and they just, oh, they just keep heaping honor on a sister Kilgore, we love you, we love you, we depend on you, you know the feeling. And all of a sudden, Lucifer comes and says, Say, you're a pretty important person. I guess maybe you deserve a little bit higher position than just a helper. Oh, you're wasting your time, Lucifer. There's no way you're going to come to me because it's a tragedy when I get to feeling my self-importance. It's a tragedy when I forget that he is the important one, not me. I'm just a helper. No, sir, I am not the co-pastor. I do not have equal right in running the church. He makes the spiritual decisions. I'm his follower, and I'm his helper. You don't have to worry about me, Satan. I am not about to follow that. I am completely pleased with my position. I love it. Don't go away from me. Sarah, one time, oh, she had a beautiful position in God. She was promised a son, and my goodness, the promises that were involved with that son... But she had a problem. That son wasn't being born. She was barren. And the promise didn't come true year after year. And she said, obviously, God, nor my husband, can take care of this problem. I have the answer. I can handle it. I know the answer. Abraham, go take Hagar, and that's the way this child will be born. And she brought nothing but heartache to herself. The child of that union brought nothing but heartache. You see, our, we, there is no way we can get by with taking authority. Our very nature demands obedience. We'll heap heartaches upon ourselves. Just come on back, angels. We're not about to walk down that path. We're very satisfied with our position in life. It's a lot more than we deserve. I'd like to talk a little bit longer about the rapture. I'd like to talk about, first of all, 
Gabriel, my favorite angel, but I know I've got to stop, but I love the way he came down and talked to Mary so gently. That night he looked down from heaven, the great messenger of God, mentioned in the Bible more than any other. If we could have looked up, we couldn't have seen him, but that didn't mean he wasn't coming. He came right down on an ordinary evening, and when Mary got to her room that day, he was there waiting. Mary, you're going to bear a child. And Mary, she was afraid, and we talk about that a lot. But do you know what? Gabriel just stood in amazement at her, that she was so loved and trusted by God. He stood in awe and respect. And she was full of questions, just like we would be. When? How can this be? And he calmly answered. And he said, by the way, Mary, you call his name Jesus. And it was Gabriel that was the first one that got to speak the name Jesus. Oh, it was beautiful, Gabriel. We love that name. It's just like music, and we cherish that name. And then finally, when the day came that Jesus would be born, what a great day in heaven. Do you remember a few years ago when the conqueror put, uh, wrote the article, and it was just imagination, and my husband said, don't you dare leave the scripture, but I'm going to go refer to Conqueror's Magazine, because that's all right. So the Conqueror's Magazine said, it's time for you to be born, Jesus. Now, can we take a million stars and let them whiz to the sky till everybody is just shaking and Caesar and the high priest in all Jerusalem and everybody knows? No, one star, that's all. They said, then can all of the choir of angels step out there and sing so strong that it'll just vibrate the whole earth and we'll announce your birth in grand style? No, just a small choir of angels, that's all. So it was a silent night and a holy night because he said, I will dwell with man and teach them the way of righteousness. And so on that night, one angel came down and said, and told the shepherds, fear not because there's going to be a Savior born to you and he'll save their people from their sins. And they sang a song when a little choir appeared behind them, a small choir. Glory to God in the highest and peace on earth. And they sang it and they sang it. They came from a land where they knew glorious songs, but they sang that simple song, peace on earth and goodwill toward men. Glory to God in the highest. And the shepherds watched as long as they could see, but they majestically went back. And all heaven looked down. Glory to God in the highest, they were saying. And there he laid in a little manger. Oh, God, how can they know that that's you laying down there wrapped in swaddling clothes? How can the shepherds know? But we learned, didn't we? Don't worry about angels. Don't worry about it. He got the message to us. I'd like to talk about a Michael. He's a strong messenger of God. He's the only one that's referred to as an archangel. Powerful. He fights with God's army against the enemies of God's people. He fights with the angelic host. And someday, he's the one that will take a, bring a chain in his hand and he'll take Lucifer and cast him forever into the bottomless pit. And he'll do it with joy because he hates every minute that he's ever tormented us. But I tell you what, girls, if we never see an angel, and we probably won't, we'll all liable to see Michael before the day is over. Every one of us could be looking right in his face. Because according to Paul in Thess Thessalonians, for the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of the archangel. Michael will help announce the coming. And then the dead in Christ shall rise. And then the, we that are alive and remain will be caught up. 
And I want you to know the first coming of Jesus was important, but oh, this second coming. Angels are everywhere trying to help us to be ready. They're just everywhere pondering, would you forget this little 70 years they keep telling us that you're engrossed with and realize the value of your soul and that you're going to live 100 million years yet? Would you please realize that the rapture could happen before tonight? And for you and I, that's the end. Now, I don't know what he has in mind for the Jews or other people, but for you and I, we don't make that. We are emptied into an eternity, and there is no more hope for us. That's the last we hear about our salvation. And the nearer the time comes, and especially our work because we're dealing with men who face eternity. Every time you go to church, they're right there. They love to go to church. They like to watch the reaction of uh, people because the preaching and when you sing. Brother Garrison told us a few nights ago that the Holy Ghost let him see in his mind that the angels were driving the evil spirits down that aisle and away so that the clear, beautiful sound of the gospel could go forth. I believe that because I tell you, we were so near the throne that day, sinners just came rushing to that altar. And not long ago, we had a new convert in our church that, oh, he has a beautiful experience with God. So humble, so unpretentious, so in love with God, so sold out to the gospel. And one Sunday morning, he looked up, and he saw angels standing all behind the ensemble as they were singing. And then he watched and turned, he turned and looked as they moved out among the congregation. And they went to everyone that was just reaching and worshiping and loving God with all their hearts. And they stood by them. The angel ministered to them because they know that when he is lifted up, he'll bring all men unto him. And he loves to see people worship. I don't know what I was doing that Sunday morning. I don't know if I was holding the grandbaby or looking to see who wasn't there. But I do hope I was one of those that was saying, Oh, I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. And that he came and ministered to me. But don't you worry. Every time you go to church, they're there to strengthen you and help you because you're dealing with the destinies of men. And that person that came in Sunday morning and you spoke to, by next month they could be in the midst of a great tribulation for all we know. And it's the angels that will be the ones that have to pour out those vials of torment. It's the angels that will have to come someday when Jesus separates the guilty and the innocent and cast the guilty into the flaming fire. They're going to help you. It's serious business. And they want to make sure those people are saved. They'll be there, and they don't care if it's a small crowd. They don't mind that one bit. The only church service they ever got to say one word in were just a few little shepherds, but they preached with all their heart. There were no dignitaries there, no uh, kings or priests, but they gave the beautiful message, a Savior is born. Yeah, they'll be there at church. They'll be strengthening you. They'll be helping you. They're anxious to see because there's joy among the angels when one sinner repents. And they want very much for us to win souls. They want very much for us to be ready. So you can count on them tightening the security around you a little bit more every day. And now I said they couldn't preach in church and they can't say a word. But I didn't say one word about them singing. Now do you really believe, girls, that we are such good singers in Pentecost that people travel far and near to hear us. 
I don't believe it. I believe we have a backup choir that won't quit. I believe they come and sing with us sometimes, and that building just rings and radiates with the glory of God. Because there's nothing like the use of music to praise God. And I love it when someday we'll get to go and hear 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands singing the praises of God. But do you know what? They'd like to hear us sing too. Because when we get there, just step aside, angels, because we've got a song that y'all can't sing. When the redeemed are gathering in, oh, what music, oh, what singing, or that city will be rolled when the redeemed are gathering in. And the angels all will listen. They cannot join that song when the redeemed are gathering in. Thank God I'm redeemed. Could we praise him for it?